the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider. Lots of news as usual, and a special guest on the interview segment, Father Christopher Pearson, pastor of Most Precious Blood Parish in London. We've been friends for over a dozen years, and Father Christopher was in Rome last week to celebrate the January 5th funeral of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. What links us is one of Pope Benedict's major achievements, the creation in 2009 of the Personal Ordinariate, a canonical structure within the Catholic Church established to enable groups of Anglicans to join the Catholic Church while preserving elements of their liturgical and spiritual patrimony. Father Chris was an Anglican pastor for 15 years and talks about his becoming a Catholic priest. He highlights Benedict's great desire for Christian unity, citing the Ordinariate as one example of how that can be achieved. Now, let's look at the top news stories of the past week. Sunday, January 8th, on the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, during Mass in the Sistine Chapel, Pope Francis baptized 13 babies, children of Vatican employees. Thanking their parents for bringing them into the church, he told them they have the responsibility of making sure their children keep to the path they were put on that day. He also invited parents and godparents to talk to their children about their baptism, to celebrate its anniversary, and to thank God for this grace of becoming Christian. Later Sunday at the Angelus, after offering reflections on the day's gospel and reciting the Marian prayer with the faithful in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis remembered Ukrainian and Russian mothers who have lost their children because of the war, and he asked everyone to pray for them, for all those suffering, and for an end to the war. Monday, January 9th. In his annual address to the diplomatic corps accredited to the Holy See, Pope Francis called for an immediate end to the senseless conflict in Ukraine, and he also called for the abolition of the death penalty. He also reiterated the two-state solution in the Holy Land and urged integral disarmament, highlighting the nuclear threat. Also on his agenda, an appeal for women and against abortion, concern over the political and social tensions in Brazil, Peru, and Haiti, the death penalty in Iran, and the exclusion of women from education in Afghanistan. He devoted attention to crises around the world, war-torn Syria with populations dealing with deadly landmines, terrorism in Africa, the conflicts in the South Caucasus, the social, economic, and political crisis in Lebanon, and the tragedy of migration that has turned the Mediterranean into a graveyard. Tuesday, January 10th, Pope Francis released his message for the 31st World Day of the Sick and urged Catholics to heed the example of the Good Samaritan, showing compassion and taking care of the sick in a world that discards the most vulnerable. The Catholic Church marks the annual day on February 11th, the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. This year the theme is Take Care of Him, Compassion as a Synodal Exercise of Healing, drawn from the Gospel of Luke on the Parable of the Good Samaritan. Also Tuesday, 
Pope Francis received signatories of the Rome Call for AI Ethics and applauded their efforts to safeguard the good of the human family, promote shared ethics and fraternity among all, and be vigilant against misuses of technology and artificial intelligence. The Call for AI Ethics is a document that was signed by the Pontifical Academy for Life, Microsoft, IBM, FAO, and the Italian Ministry of Innovation to promote an ethical approach to artificial intelligence. Also Tuesday, the Vatican released Pope Francis's prayer intention for January. It's for educators that they may be credible witnesses, teaching fraternity rather than confrontation, and helping especially the youngest and most vulnerable above all. Also Tuesday, Pope Francis sent a telegram of condolences mourning the 40 killed and more than 78 injured in a bus crash in central Senegal, and he offered prayers of comfort and peace for all affected. Wednesday, January 11th, Pope Francis sent a telegram of condolences upon the sudden death Tuesday evening at age 81 of Cardinal George Pell, who he said unwaveringly followed his Lord with perseverance even in the hour of trial. He highlighted the Australian Cardinal's consistent and committed witness, his dedication to the Gospel and to the Church, and particularly his diligent cooperation with the Holy See in its economic reform, for which he laid the foundations with determination and wisdom. May he be received into the joy of heaven and receive the reward of eternal peace. Cardinal Pell died of cardiac arrest in a Rome hospital following a successful hip replacement surgery. Also Wednesday, at the weekly general audience in the Paul VI Hall, the Holy Father began a new series of catechesis on the theme of apostolic zeal, recalling how Christ's Church was born with missionary zeal sent by the Holy Spirit to shed the light of Christ to every land and people. He said apostolic zeal is about passion for evangelization. It's vital for the Church and, in fact, is the very oxygen of Christian life and the measure of the Church's spiritual life. Thursday, January 12th, Pope Francis held his traditional audience for directors and staff of the Vatican Inspectorate of Public Safety, the Italian security forces that maintain public order and provide security in St. Peter's Square and the areas surrounding Vatican territory. He thanked them for the service they provide, quote, with self-denial and a spirit of sacrifice, and he expressed his esteem and appreciation for their helpfulness and their dedicated and professional service. Friday, January 13th. In an audience with the Primatial Council of the Confederation Canons Regular of St. Augustine, the Pope urged them to seek the Lord in all they do, give witness to God's love, and let the gospel be their rule of life as they open up to the future with renewed hope. The Confederation was established in 1959 by Pope St. John XXIII. The Holy Father told the Augustinians they have a great history to build upon, and he said the Holy Spirit will empower them to do great things. Take the gospel as the rule of life, to the point of being able to say with St. Paul, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Those are the news highlights of the week, but now stay here for my conversation with Father Christopher Pearson from London as we talk about the personal ordinariate instituted by Pope Benedict. God bless and have a great weekend.
This is Steve Leaguers, president of Tri-State Catholic Radio, and I am a sinner. A sinner who needs God's grace and mercy, especially when I'm weak or disappointed in myself or have hurt others. Catholic Radio and its wonderful variety of programming reminds me that God loves me and uses radio as a medium to broadcast His love and encouragement into our world. Find a Catholic station in your area and tune in. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. Are you ready to spread your wings? Wings is the weekly newsletter that's packed with exclusive news, program information, features, and updates of all that's going on at the Global Catholic Network. To sign up, go to EWTN.com, click subscribe, enter your name and email address, and you'll start getting your wings every week. Get your wings today. It's the weekly newsletter from EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. In Matthew 13, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price, that a merchant would sell everything he has to buy. You know, if you think about it, God loves you that way. You're his pearl of great price. He gave everything for you. And he wants you to love him and other people the same way. The pearl of great price costs you. You know, of all the crazy things that came out of the sexual revolution, the dumbest is the notion of free love, a love that doesn't cost you anything. I prefer real love. Real love binds itself to the beloved. Real love demands the sacrifice of your time, your attention, your self-centeredness, your thinking. Real love leads to vocations and vows that bind you to priesthood or religious life or marriage. Real love leads to committed and rewarding friendships. It makes us fathers, brothers, spouses. It makes us human. Real love's the path to real life. And while it's anything but free, it's also the only path to real freedom. This is Chris Stefanik from Real Life Catholic. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider and a really special guest this weekend in the interview segment. My guest is Father Christopher Pearson. He's the pastor of the most precious blood parish in London. And actually, he's a friend of over a dozen years. He's in Rome as we speak to concelebrate at the January 5th funeral mass of Pope Emeritus Benedict, who died at the age of 95 on December 31st, 2022. So welcome to Vatican Insider and to Rome, Father Chris. Oh, hi, Joan. It's lovely to be with you again. One of the highlights of coming to Rome is to see you as well, so lovely to be with you. We have a whole bunch of wonderful stories, all all church-related, and before I started recording, we were talking about some of those wonderful memories. One of Benedict's major achievements, and this is what links you and me and our friendship, was the creation in 2009 with the Apostolic Constitution Anglica Canorum Cetibus, his creation of the personal ordinariate. Now, this is a canonical structure in the Catholic Church established to enable groups of Anglicans to join the Catholic Church while preserving elements of their liturgical and spiritual patrimony. Now, basically, the ordinariate is much like the military ordinariate in the sense that they're juridically equivalent to a diocese. So, now, with that explanation in mind about the ordinariate, What's important to know is that before joining the Catholic Church in April 2011, Father Christopher was vicar of an Anglican parish for 15 years, a parish that I visited and met all of the wonderful parishioners. He was ordained a Catholic priest in June 2011 and then made pastor of Most Precious Blood in January 2013 
when the parish was given to the care of the ordinariate. So, Chris, you and I have this intertwined story with each other in the ordinariate. We first met, and I can see this as clearly as I'm looking at you now, we first met one night in a restaurant in London. It was called Il Coliseo. This was in October 2010, when Benedict was in the UK on an amazing visit. You were an Anglican pastor at that time and having dinner with a parishioner. So I had just done, completed a, a radio report for EW10. It was 10 at night. I go back inside to my table just to have coffee, and I see out of the corner of my eye a huge, regulation-sized Vatican flag. And the man carrying it goes to sit down with his parishioner at a table close to mine, and I see the Roman collar, and I say, you know, I've got to ask a priest what he thinks about Pope Benedict and his visit. So I walk over to the table. Before I could introduce myself, you already knew me from EWTN. So any ice that there might have been was broken, and we started our discussions. So kind of take it from there, and then how we met on other occasions, and at the start of the ordinary, it, you know. <laughs> I remember it well, Joan. It was a great day. As well as the, uh, the joy of meeting you and recognizing you in that restaurant, and that our friendship began then. It was a lovely time because, of course, as you say, Pope Benedict was in, uh, in London for a, for a pastoral visit. And there was real excitement in the air, uh, not only because the Pope was visiting England, but also for us in the Church of England who were longing for unity, um, that the Apostolic Constitution, Anglican Chaitibus, had just been announced. So the excitement was that something wonderful was going to happen for us in the Church of England who were longing for that unity. But to go back a bit further than that is that whilst it was a joy to see Pope Benedict on that day and to have the Apostolic Constitution um, and the possibility of becoming Catholic, uh, I should say that my view of Pope Benedict, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, was never like that. In 2005, when I was an Anglican, I was glued to the television because there was a papal election. And I remember watching the TV, I was completely glued to it, and I didn't want to leave. I had to leave to go to a meeting in school. And I was waiting to see if the Pope had elected. The white smoke went up. I was late for my meeting, and I had to go, but I didn't want to go. So I stood waiting, and eventually they came out, and the announcement was, um, uh, we have a new Pope. And, of course, it was uh, Josephum Cardinalum Ratzinger. And I have to say, my heart sank. I switched the television off and went to my meeting. I walked to the meeting with another parishioner, um, and we went in silence because we were absolutely crestfallen. The message and our understanding of uh, Cardinal Ratzinger when he was in charge of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith is that he was a rottweiler. He was hardline, he was unyielding, uh, not compassionate, and he was not going to listen to any pleas from uh, Anglicans wanting unity with the Catholic Church. Wow! I just knew it was never going to happen. Wow! And the background from that to that moment is that there were various meetings. I belonged to some political organisations in the Church of England, and we had meetings both here in Rome and in uh, in London. And uh, then the prefect was Casper. Casper. Oh, oh, Casper. Cardinal he King. was unity, wasn't yes, he? Yes, I'm getting muddled up. Yeah. Yes, well, we had a meeting with him with right. unity. That's correct. Beg your pardon. Okay. 
And, uh, and at that, we then had discussions of some Anglicans we came together. I, I wasn't part of the conversations. I was a kind of a hanger-on and, and a bag carrier on those occasions. But I heard the conversations. And uh, conversations going on with Cardinal Casper at Unity, and indeed with, supposedly I was aware of, with Ratzinger in the Congregation Auction of the Faith, is that it was not going to happen. This idea of corporate union was impossible. And I remember Casper saying, corporate union cannot happen because people have to make an affirmation individually. You have to say, I believe, not we believe. So therefore, it can't be a corporate union. Wow. And I left that meeting crestfallen. And of course, when uh, television revealed in 2005 uh, that we had Joseph Ratzinger as the next pope, I knew it was not going to be possible. You saw no hope. Completely gone. Well, then life changed dramatically because the media perception of him and what we'd heard about him couldn't have been more wrong. And the strange paradox is that this Pope elected in in 2005, my heart sang, sank, uh, and I can't now believe that here I am wanting with all my heart to give thanks for him and pray for him at his funeral mass. So what we recognise in Pope Benedict is the the, the sheer generosity. Uh, We were talking earlier, Joan, before we began this, about the um, uh, Latin mass uh, being suspended. Um, and, and again, that's an act of Pope Benedict to reach out for unity. Summorum pontificum, yeah. The Lefevreists and those who ordained their own bishops without permission for the Holy See were excommunicated. Pope Benedict was keen to bring them back into unity. So therefore he suspended... He lifted their, the excommunication. And then conversation could happen and bring them right. back into communion. Life turned out differently than he hoped. Us Anglicans, when we were longing for unity, he then said, well, let's have a conversation. It might be possible. And then he invited us into full communion with the Catholic Church, bring elements of our Anglican heritage. There is also uh, another theory, I'm, I'm sure it's not original from me, uh, but one of the theories about why he resigned. Um, people love to say it was ill health or pressure or political, but one of the big issues for unity with uh, the Orthodox is that the Petrine ministry go through somebody until they die. Whereas for Orthodox people, uh, for the Orthodox Church, it's, no, it had to be the person sitting in the chair at that particular time. So therefore the reason for not having unity with the Orthodox Church was that the Petrine ministry goes to death. Well, what did Pope Francis, uh, Benedict do? He resigned. So he's, therefore it doesn't go to death. It is the person who sits in the chair and therefore lifted the very reason why Orthodox can't go into full communion. And also Pope Benedict, of course, uh, when the Patriarch of the West, he removed that title. Right. Francis is not right. Patriarch of the West. People like to say he is, but he isn't. So those things which were barred to those who wanted to come into full communion, whether they're Lefevres, whether right. they're Anglicans, whether they're Orthodox, Pope Francis removed them all and said, come into full communion. He really <laughs> wanted to find a way. Now, an interesting thing about the Orthodox, when the Pope was in Turkey, I, I interviewed, he was in Turkey in 2006, and um, I and I covered that visit, and part of it was the Muslim uh, side of the visit, which was amazing. And then the other part was they were there in November because at the end of November, November thirtieth is the feast of Saint Andrew. And I interviewed the top um, Orthodox official in America at the time, and he told me that the main difference, and I had never in all my years even had anybody be the specific. The main difference between Orthodox and Catholics is that the Orthodox believe 
that um, the mission to be the Pope, the head of the church, uh, the rock on whom I will build my church, was given to Andrew, who was Peter's brother. So we have Jesus telling uh, Peter, you are the rock upon which I will build my church, and Peter, Pietro, rock. Um, And then for the Orthodox, it was Andrew who was given this. So that's also part of the question of of primacy. Mm -hmm. But but also the reaching out for unity. He is the Pope of unity because maybe it was that occasion or another, I can't remember my dates, uh, was when he met the Patriarch of the East and they gave a joint blessing in Constantinople, Istanbul. Yes. Um, and this was the first time in 500 years. Right. Well, why did that go unnoticed? This is hugely significant for that quest for unity. So whenever people say about right. you know, P- Cardinal Ratzinger or Pope Benedict being hardline and being narrow, uh, they could not be more wrong. He is opening, welcoming, Absolutely. warm. And tomorrow we'll, the square will be packed with people who will it love will. him and miss him. Well, you know, I also do want to explain one thing to um, our listeners about the ordinariate allowing groups of Anglicans to come in. Obviously, any single person, or it could be a couple or a family, who wants to come into the church, there is a process for that. Whether you are a you know Anglican or whether you are Methodist or whatever, but the ordinariate was a specific canonical structure yes. to allow groups, yes. in the sense of an entire parish, yeah, absolutely. to come into that. There's a confusion over the title because the Constitution is called Anglicum Chetibus, which means groups of Anglicans, and people think, therefore, that means those groups of Anglicans who join the Catholic Church um, in 2011. But in fact, it's not. It's because the Constitution begins, uh, in the past, groups of Anglicans have petitioned the Holy See. Yeah, that's right. So it's that way around, not that way around. Well, because the Latin words usually designate the first words of the Absolutely. document. Absolutely. The Latin title. The people think it's... Yeah. So, so the Constitution is for those Anglicans who joined in 2011. We created these groups. Um, and it was very specifically around those groups uh, because it was meant to be a you know a kind of viable number, um, 15, 20 as a minimum, right. with pastor and people. And again, Pope Benedict's generosity. Ordinarily, when you join the Catholic Church, even I was an Anglican uh, minister, and joining the Catholic Church, you go through a formation process, a discernment process, and that can take anything three, six years. But Pope Benedict sure. said, no, it's important these groups stay together, so we will ordain the pastors quickly we went through the same formation program exactly the same we did all the courses all the study we did all the faculties the canon law all of that it's just that we did it a different uh, process we were ordained at the beginning of the process rather than the end of the process oh but we still did the same formation program all of us and the promise was that we still have a regular ongoing formation program three times a year all the anglican former anglican clergy now catholics uh, meet for uh, an ongoing um uh, well, you know, program. Father Chris, when we met that October evening in, in London, I asked if I could interview you because you and your parishioner and I, the three of us, had one amazing discussion yes. about Benedict and the church and faith. And that's yes. when, of course, talking about the, the ordinariate, which had been established, the, the, the possibility, the structure had been raised by the Vatican. But it wasn't until January 1st of 2011 that the uh, personal ordinariate of Our Lady of Walsingham, yep. so this is the first ordinariate to be created, and you were within, because that was in the UK, and you were within that cycle. But the interesting thing is, so we're still in October 2010, yes. 
and you were not in you know the or yeah. there was not that yeah. ordinary yet yet and I can remember interviewing you on the radio and we talked about all the same subjects that have been brought up at dinner and the faith and differences and this and that. And at the end of the interview, you said to me, there was one question you didn't ask and I'm so grateful. And I said, what was that? You didn't ask me if I and my parish would be going into the ordinariat. Because if you'd asked that question and I said yes, I'd have had to resign from my parish. And if I said no, I'd be lying. <laughs> you know. It was a delicate And then period. months later we met and yes. you were part of the story. I was with my parishioners. I w- in, in the Church of England, we were longing for this unity, and there are issues which now in the Church of England are commonplace, um, and they have become something political. Um, I'll say what they are. Um, ordination of women, as priests and bishops, uh, gay clergy, uh, gay marriage, uh, education, abortion, life issues. Uh, there is an archbishop, former Archbishop of Canterbury who is a great advocate for euthanasia, for example. So people love to pick these hot topic subjects. Sure. And it wasn't, they were just a presenting issues at that time, which were a bar for the unity for which we were praying and Jesus desired that we should be one so the world will believe. Um, the problem for, for us in the Church of England at that time was those things to work for unity had to be addressed. They weren't, we weren't one way, they weren't the issue, it was a problem to the real point of becoming into full communion. So at that time, we had to be careful, um, and we had basically a choice. For those who were longing for unity, for a Catholic outlook, we could either go with the flow and just buy in and say, OK, throw in the towel, we'll do this. A second option was the parishes that kind of took that line and wanted the unity of the church and were, were Catholic in faith and practice, although not in communion. Uh, we effectively drew a, a great big moat around our churches and a portcullis and don't come near me, we're UDI, we're on our own, leave us alone. Or the third is that we uh, say thank you to Pope Benedict and we become Catholics. And in my parish, uh, we had all discussions. We had an open forum um, and all those were presented and argued pros and cons. And I deliberately did not tell my parishioners what I was going to do. When we met Joan, it was in my mind, I knew what I was going to do. I had consulted my Anglican bishop then, who was a gracious and lovely man, who was very kind to me. Um, and I included him in the conversation but I did not tell my parishioners because I wanted them to join because they wanted to join not because they were following me they had to follow the Lord Jesus not sure, follow me sure. um, and then the, there's a deadline for dates and you have to resign and, and so on and so forth so I was able to make an announcement of what I was doing but I did not want people to follow me you follow the Lord and his call sure. and even now probably in those days we had about 40 from my parish in Catholic numbers that's not many well, the uh, parishes are generally smaller, yeah. right? In, but in Church of England numbers, that's, that's quite a that's quite a sizable number. Uh, and I um, I neither encouraged nor discouraged. You had to make your own mind up. Sure. But because they come following their own hearts, uh, most, if they haven't died or moved away, uh, most of us are still worshipping together. That's all the time I have today. But join me next weekend for more fascinating stories with Father Christopher Pearson pastor of Most Precious Blood Parish in London, as we talk more about the personal ordinariate and also about Benedict XVI's legacy. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.